0: Welcome. Now, my name is Dee Ludlow. Now, before we get into this episode, go to the description, click the link, and get your MA Mastery Toolkit. This is a free download, which gives you some of the tools and resources that you need to start your MA journey. Don't forget, go to the description, click the link. It's a free download. And enjoy the episode. I
1: had... Th- you know, a huge company doing really well at 22, making six figures, and I lost everything when COVID happened. I do not like um, business coaches, specifically, who have never run a business. It doesn't make sense to me, just like I don't like Instagram coaches who have never actually done Instagram before and they've got a 1000 followers, it doesn't make sense.
0: Do you feel that in the UK, we do celebrate victimhood too much?
1: You are the building empire and destroying it
0: so sabrina it's good to have you here
1: thank you for the invite i'm excited
0: me too so let's start us off with something fun what's a fact that nobody knows about you
1: um i used to be an mma mma fighter huh
0: <laughs> <laughs> in what life <laughs> i trained
1: yeah. um in kickboxing and mma for about three years really yeah, I competed. I got to the finals of a competition. And when you get to the finals of an MMA competition, it basically means um, you got beat up in the finals. But it was really fun.
0: Well, I can imagine. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely a fun fact no one knows about you. Wow. What, so...
1: It's not usually my opening line <laughs> <Yeah>. either.
0: <laughs> so where did the interest come from for MMA?
1: Um, it started off with kickboxing. Yeah. And then it just gradually turned into jiu-jitsu and then MMA. Um, I just wanted to have that. I guess, toughness about me. I was pretty soft when I was growing up because I've just played tennis and it's quite a soft sport. So I wanted to help bring out that aggressive side in a sport, so I thought, why not?
0: Wow, tennis, yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) definitely different. Um, Cool, so, right, let's jump into the PR stuff. Um, Now, I think one of the things that people um, fail to understand with PR, in my opinion, you're the expert, so you can tell me, but I feel that people assume that if they pay for PR, or have some sort of PR, um, that they should just automatically get leads, their business grows, etc. cetera. But of course, a lot of it is to do with awareness and to build on their awareness, right? To um, build that brand equity. So yeah, what's your opinion on that? Because I, I, I assume you have loads of messages about this.
1: I do. The biggest reason why I started 2 Comma PR, so our PR company, is because I didn't like PR. Right. So I had a PR agent and you know, I gave her um, either a percentage of sales and another one who I gave a monthly fee and I didn't get anything. And I was like, I'm paying for your time. Why should I be paying for your time? It doesn't make sense. I want to pay like all other businesses for results. Like you can easily track SEO. You can easily track, I um, you know, PPC, but you can't track PR. So I reversed the module and thought, okay, if I get in touch with all the publications to start with, and I have a really good story and I build those connections, can I guarantee to get somebody in a really good publication such as Forbes or Entrepreneur providing they have everything that the publications went. So I contacted over 100 people at different publications and I asked them if I get, like what is your tick box criteria? And then if I was able to understand what they wanted, I could bring on clients who fit them and it was a really easy job. And we exploded within the first quarter, we had over a hundred clients just because people thought, yes, this makes so much sense. Um, And coming back to where you were saying, what is PR? I generally think it's about building trust because you know, if I wanted to work with you, what's most likely are you going to do? You're going to Google somebody, you're going to look at their digital footprint, you want to find out their testimonials, their case studies. Are they somebody that you trust, not only with your time, but also with your finances and your business? And that's what really PR is it's about creating that online digital presence, but also showcasing what you've really been able to do.
0: Yeah. Do you feel that in the sort of world we're in now, which is very much a social media world, Um, Do you feel that it's like 100% needed for exposure? Um, Yeah, because realistically, there's a lot of people out there, they do want to build um, brand awareness. And it can be hard organically initially. um, And then yeah, when you go viral, you go viral. But do you feel that it's actually needed for people to build brand awareness these days?
1: there's so many other people doing what you do. It's about what stands out. Like just getting into Forbes, like so many people have got into Forbes. It's not different. How about something exciting? Like one thing we're doing at the moment is Apple News. No one's really heard of Apple News, but it's gonna be the next big thing because it's getting so much traction. It's about what are you doing that's gonna be different that people are gonna go onto your profile and they automatically think, do I like this person and can I potentially trust them? And PR is an amplifier in that.
0: Yeah. Do you feel that there's certain publications that end up from sort of the social aspect that become like sort of blacklisted, like, you know, uh, everybody did that? Do you feel that it goes that way and then you have to just quickly adapt and move on? Or do you feel that every publication has its place in the marketplace?
1: I like, okay, coming back to the kickboxing model. I like imagining PR as a black belt system. Yeah. So no, no matter if you've created an incredible business, if nobody knows who you are, The publications, they just do not care. You're not gonna get Forbes knocking on your door saying, come on over, I'm gonna feature you, right? So it's about building up your online digital presence. And not just in PR, that's also, for example, having a podcast. That's a great way to show your community about what you're really doing. Um, It's about getting on TV and having a massive amplified message. But it's also about how you funnel it. Because if you get into a huge publication and say that you have a lot of leads, um, where are they going to go? They're going to go to your link tree or they're going to go to your website. And then it's really thinking about what's your user conversion looking like. And if your user conversion isn't there, then they're not going to come to clients anyway. So it's about creating what's different in order to lead them into that funnel.
0: So, how important would you say it is to niche down on a publication actually suits your niche? Do you, do you feel that you can just have like a really broad, go for any publication and just just to be out there just to have yourself linked with a name or do you feel it's quite important to niche down um, for, right from the start?
1: It depends what kind of PR you're looking for. If you're looking for digital footprint, it doesn't, in a sense, it doesn't really matter what the publication is, because you just want one that's got a strong domain authority, it's going to rank on Google, I'm going to type your name or your company name in, and I'm going to see the article. If you're looking for leads and specific, or you're going to use it as part of a email marketing campaign or a LinkedIn post, then 100% you want to go into an industry led um, publication.
0: And in the publications that you work with over time, there's certain ones that have um, sort of better reputation and mm-hmm. more desirable to be in, you know, like the Forbes Entrepreneur, um, probably now Apple News. Um, which one, uh, uh, are some easier to work with than others? Because um, I can imagine some of them, they're, they're very particular about their brand and who, who gets put in the publication.
1: So one thing if you are looking to get into top tier, you have to do the tick boxes from the contributors. And one of those is having previous articles within your specific niche unless you have a very strong online brand. So therefore, a lot of the time, the smaller publications are just tick box exercises that you need. The larger publications, they want to say, OK, what's different? So I had a Forbes piece and that Forbes piece was talking about how to go viral on PR. And I previous to the PR company had a tech company. And only using PR, we had a hundred thousand people on our website overnight. Wow. Website crashed. Very vulnerable to have it. Very stressful. Um, And we had half a million users on our platform within six weeks, only using PR. So yes, it can generate leads. And Forbes was like, that's an incredible story. No one's, you kind of crash the internet, of course we'll take you. So they also want to have some kind of content that their readers are genuinely going to enjoy and to leave feeling they've learned something or they're inspired by something new. So it's not just about the PR company putting you forward, but if you've got no story to tell, then the piece isn't gonna do well either.
0: And do, where do you feel PRs go in? So, in regards to right at the moment, social media's got all the eyes on it, right, and probably the best place for awareness, right? People are moving from TV to social media, um, and also because of the platforms too, right? Do you feel it's better to have a some sort of PR online in one of the bigger um, on the, one of the bigger platforms or on mainstream TV?
1: It really depends where you're going. Mm -hmm. I personally like online, assuming you have an online business. Again, it comes back to the trust. Mm -hmm. Someone wants to work with you, they're going to Google you. So you can add your PR into your email signatures, into an as seen on section within your website. You can convert it into a blog. But it's about how you're really utilizing it. Just getting an article won't do anything for you. Mm -hmm. I don't think PR gives you leaves. I think it helps you create better conversion. So it's really how you leverage it. And also if you look at the biggest kind of online names like Grant Cardone, like how much money Gary Vee, Grant Cardone, all these big guys spend in PR you know that it has to be something there and it's about being able to control your reputation but also to be putting yourself out there and if your competitor is turning up the not number one in google compared to you they're going to be getting all your leads yeah. so it's actually also thinking about what's everyone else doing what can i do within the pr space and then how can you make your pr different
0: and what do you think's been the most successful pr campaign that you've ran you don't have to say who it is but where 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 is it gone and what what's come of the pr campaign
1: um interestingly towards yourself um it's actually been helping somebody get awareness for their particular um company that they're selling and they wanted to put out more pr campaigns in terms of you know this being an incredible company what specifically they were doing and really well thought pieces and because of that they got um tremendous amount of um awareness to potential buyers and a second one is raising investment a lot of time with tech platforms the investors come back and they say nobody knows who you are you have a great idea what else you're going to do about it so they're able to leverage the pr put it into their pitch deck and within seven days of one particular piece going they close 800k and that was so fast and it was because they were like i've seen you being picked up by the media let's go for it
0: that's insane. So, so uh, I was very proud uh, of that one. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, should have had a kicker on the end of it. Uh, so I seen um, a bit of copy on one of your posts, right? And it said, it was from P.T. Barman. And, he, and one said, without publicity, a terrible thing happens, dot, 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 nothing. And I, I feel that's quite powerful. But if we flip it with publicity, what do you feel does happen? I just give two good examples. But if you put them aside. What would you say would be, if I had to say, what's the three key things that come from publicity? Because it can be good or bad, or is all publicity bad or good, you know?
1: I don't believe all publicity is um, good. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. That, that's what I to say, I quite yeah.
1: don't. Um, <laughs> however, going back to why, if you don't do anything, no one knows who you are. Now, if you want to remain silent, that's absolutely fine. But if you want to put yourself into a TED talk, or you want to speak at a huge event, um, you want to get more customers, and they need to know, they need to like you, they need to be aware of you, have that visibility and have that trust. Because otherwise, you're really lacking behind. Um, I would also say, if you're not putting yourself out there, then somebody else will. And it comes down to kind of your marketing yourself and the PR of yourself. Marketing yourself is getting eyes on you, but PR is helping that conversion and they really work hand in hand.
0: Okay, cool. So let's move on to um, the NFT project 15 Love. Where, was the, where did the inspiration come from initially?
1: So I do a lot of PR for um, blockchain companies and also NFTs in specific. Mm-hmm. A lot of the time they want to put the PR articles into their Discord groups or they want to show there's a bit of a buzz. Um, and there's also something going on, especially utility projects. Mm-hmm. So previously I was a tennis player, ran the largest tennis tournament company in the UK. I'd been working massively on a golf DAO and some other quite sports specific. So we thought, why not bring together tennis and NFTs? And we created 15 Love, specifically um, a utility back project. So you get to meet the tennis players and the tennis stars and household names every single month, but also educating the community on how exactly we can bring tennis to the NFT space and acting as a launch pad for brands.
0: Awesome. So these meetups that you know people get to meet the tennis players, wh- where are these where do these take place? So these online, are they in person? And if they are in person, locate, you know, is it, geographically, how does that work out as someone from, say, the States buys the NFT and the meetups in the UK? How does that work?
1: Mm-hmm. So we partnered with um, MailChimp and QuickBooks. So we just previously had our first kind of meetup in Wimbledon, which was great. Um, in terms of going forwards, we have Metaverse. We have a really cool Telescore. My brother's put a DJ on there. Um, we have a podcast place as well in there, which is really fun. The second being um, on Zoom. So for people who are virtual, they get that experience. And the third being in person. That's awesome. So all three areas, really.
0: So uh, where do you see it like, going long term? So the Metaverse is obviously going to continue to grow over time. But where do you see this going long term? And, you know, do you feel that there's any other one... That competition-wise in the marketplace that you're racing against, or are you sort of leading the way with this?
1: We're leading the way with this particular project, um, and I say that with slight hesitation because It's kind of hard (laughs) leading the world when no one else has done something similar. Um, One of the biggest barriers within the tennis space is the lack of being able to meet players because they're just that one person, they're generally training and they're at tournaments. So we wanted to increase the amount of tennis participation in the NFT space by giving them access to something that hasn't happened so far. Um, Of course, it's happened in other sports, but tennis were the first and yeah with that has come challenges and we're trying to figure out things as they go on but it's really fun being the first because there's no rules right it means we get to create them ourselves
0: that's awesome and with the like so All NFT projects, marketing and awareness is the biggest thing. And you're you're probably in the best place to create that awareness based on what you do. But is there anything else like sort of off the wall you've been doing? Um, I understand you partner with influencers to, to bring that to the table and stuff that you're doing. Is there anything off the wall that you thought about doing or anything you've done already?
1: Yeah, the, the biggest thing was probably a TikTok campaign. Um, it reached about 2 billion views.
0: 2 which billion? Was, wow. Yeah,
1: which was great um, <laughs> with QuickBooks and MailChimp, and they included that as part of their competition. We're going on to, I can't say the TV shows, but huge TV news places. Um, a lot of it has been community-focused, though, and educating people about how to get into the NFT space, especially in the tennis world. It's generally a little bit of an older audience, yeah. so therefore it's their first time into actually getting a MetaMask wallet and wow. you know being able to mint. And that process has been tough but a little bit different as well.
0: And what, what sort of tennis players are you currently working with and the ones that you're not who, who you sort of, if you could choose somebody that you would like to work with that you're not already working with. So first, who are you working with? And then who's sort of on the sort of target? List. <laughs>
1: <laughs> for sure. So we have, for any tennis fans out yeah. there, um, Roscoe Tanner, he was world number four. Mm-hmm. Joe Jury, she was world number one. Alpha Hewitt, he's currently world number one. Marcus right. Willis played at Wimbledon. So some really incredible names. Who we'd like to work with. Um, we're speaking to the top British tennis players and the top doubles tennis players in the world right now. So hopefully they'll come join us and that'll be great.
0: Yeah sounds good. Now you've got a massive network right you, you literally know everyone you've done you know done a lot of good stuff you've traveled a lot which we'll come on to in a sec but how much of an impact do you feel that sort of being on The Apprentice has had in the, the your extended network after the show?
1: The apprentice can make or break you, oh my goodness. Unfortunately, um, it it really helped with putting me forward and it put me in a really positive light. Hopefully, because I was positive on camera, uh, but you never know with the editors. And because of that, a lot of opportunities, especially speaking gigs and traveling and presenting came my way. I do think anyone who goes on a TV show, they have a big leverage. And when I say big, I had 22,000 people once on a live with me on Instagram. Now I get nowhere near that kind of number. And I just thought, you know, if I could have leveraged it back then, how I could be there. But it's really about what opportunities you want to say yes to, but also those that you wanna say no to. And you get flooded with impound and like thousands of messages a day. And it's being able to funnel that in a way that you can create those opportunities for yourself and still stay very grounded as well.
0: So I see that a lot of people that come off the back of TV shows, um, I always look from the outside and I'm always like, oh, they could do more to leverage the where they are. And I understand it's very overwhelming at the time. I can imagine coming off a TV show, all of the all the attention, all the messages, all the different speaking gigs, like what what do I choose, what's right, what's not? And you probably have a team in the background as well. Looking back, what would you have done differently to, to increase the benefits of that leverage?
1: Mm, I'd probably say I would have had more going on on social media in the sense that when you do have that inbound, um, it's, it's quite a lot. I didn't know what I was doing then. I, I wasn't a social media user. I didn't use to post. So actually leveraging the community that I had back then Maybe I could have done something better. Maybe I spent too much time trying to grow the business rather than my working on my personal brand. So many what ifs. Um, but I'm glad I played it the way I did.
0: Definitely. And the experience that you that you you took from it, because you know, it's a lot of competition, and um, you know, it's a lot of pressure. Because you know, people that someone that come from a sporting background like yourself, you know, naturally you're, you're competitive. You want to win, right? Um, some people don't come from a sporting background. From experience-wise, what did you take from it in regards to like discipline, um, consistency, because that's very hard as well, and then also like a winning edge. The pressure that you was under, did you take much from that experience?
1: I like to win. I don't (laughs) stop until I win, no matter Mm. what it is. I just want to win. Probably from the competitive tennis side um, of growing up and getting onto the court, just very similar to The Apprentice, as in business, when you had the apprentice, you had a lot of curveballs in the way. So you're doing really well at a task. And suddenly, you know, there's one episode, and we went to the Body Expo exhibition in um, Birmingham. And I just qualified as a PT at the time, I had to go onto stage and sell this gym equipment. And I get onto stage expecting to have, you know, my batter ropes here, my squat stack, and there's no equipment whatsoever. And there's an audience of over a thousand people watching me. And I'm like, we're gonna have a press-up competition. And it's just about being able to create and change no matter what they throw at you. Um, And just like in tennis, you don't know who your opponent's gonna be, you don't know how the weather's gonna be, you don't know what kind of referee you're gonna get you don't know how you're gonna play internally. I and mean, because I'm so internalized at what I do from being a sports person, and I was the only person who could impact what happened on the court, it was the same as the apprentice and being able to adapt and, you know, if you didn't win one week, being able to change your thought pattern in the next week. If something happened during the task, being able to be very, very reactive, yeah. but then also being able to defend yourself and explain the rationale between decisions you made while you're on the boardroom was really key as well. I
0: and is there anyone from back then that you still stay in touch with now, or has everybody kind of just moved on?
1: We have a WhatsApp group, really, which still, is really sweet. Oh, cool. We're not so active anymore, um, but I think a lot of people have pursued what they wanted to do, which was really nice.
0: That's good. Um, and look, you're, you're an avid traveller, right? You're always on the move. Um, I was shocked that you're still in the UK. <laughs> um, so you're kind of like nomad. Um, all the places that you've travelled, um, what's been your favourite to date, and why?
1: Um, my favorite today would probably be Fiji. I went there and I went diving with sharks, snorkeling, I got like local with the lo- locals, I taught Zimba to the Fijian rugby team. Just having those experiences, being able to try something different and to put yourself out there and not worry about what anyone else thinks because you're in a new country, you don't know anybody, you're there to be yourself and to continuously reinvent yourself and level up. Yeah. That was such an incredible experience.
0: Yeah, that sounds awesome. <laughs>
1: <laughs> You're like, I want to go to Fiji now. <laughs> yeah, it's a
0: long way, but I should, I need to go. <laughs> um, and also on the travel, how big? So travel can open up many doors, right? But also, I feel that it's important because you, you, you know, experience new things, you understand culture more. I feel that the world needs more of that, right? And I feel that travel does open those doors. Um, how big has travel played in you growing your business as well and meeting new people um, and all the other things that come with it
1: for sure so i had you know a huge company doing really well at 22 making six figures and i lost everything when COVID happened um the, the tech platform was online the pr agency was online and I was sitting in an East Coast in where, where I'm from and in a coffee shop mm-hmm. on my laptop trying to figure out how to get new clients, how to build funnels, how to get different publications. And I thought, if I'm sat here every single day, why can't I be doing this in the sun? Yeah. And I just went up and I sold my Merc and mm-hmm. I, I, just, I just went. And I thought I'd figure out on the way, but I did have something stable before I went away. Yeah. In terms of leveling up, You're forced to level up. I don't think you level up unless you go through pain. The pain for me was losing my business, having a breakup during lockdown, um, losing everything that I'd built. And unless you're going through pain, which you can do when you're traveling because you have to level up very quickly. You have to get your income up. You don't go through that. And being able to meet different people, hear what they 're doing online, find out what 's working what 's not working you 're forced to grow, and it 's that growing aspect which I really find challenging and I love when i 'm traveling
0: yeah and that that sort of competitive edge that you know y- you have again from business sport, and everything else. Um, sort of meeting new people and learning new things. I suppose it keeps you teachable as well. Where I, do you feel that if you're not just the UK, but wherever you're from, do you feel that just um, it's quite a you know a talking point that everyone talks about? You know, level up and meet new people and stuff. But do you feel that your mind just naturally opens up if you travel um, rather than just being sat in the same place?